Hey, here's what, here's what we're going to talk about today. Does prayer really change things? And before, don't, I don't need anybody answering. Don't need anybody because if you do, you're going to embarrass yourself. All right? Okay? Does prayer really change things? Because I was telling Alexis, man, I, how, I'm so glad we've got so much family here today and uh, for, for Rhonda and for Haley. And, man, and you guys know y'all brought Alexis down here to help us out. It's so, so great uh, today to have just all kind of family around doing and and new family and how about all that good stuff but i was telling lex on the way here i said you know we just uh we keep trying to keep addressing these some difficult topics and some things that when people have uh our society is getting where more and more there are people that are not churched you know sometimes i'm not sure church is a great thing because if you're if you're not if you're not right with Christ, but you've been church, sometimes that gets a little difficult, because you know all the right things to do and all the stuff to say in order to to fake through. And and I don't buy into the fake it till you make it mentality. I mean, if we need Jesus, we just need Jesus, right? Amen. So one of those things that we have this tendency to look at people and say in their life is, we'll go up and say, Hey, you know what? We need to, uh, man. We just need to pray about this because prayer changes things. And so we're going to talk about that question today. Does prayer really change things? We often hear people using that phrase. How many of you ever heard somebody use that phrase? Yeah, hey man, you know prayer changes things. What does that mean though? And is it true? And how do you apply that concept? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this challenge. True phrases that get misunderstood. True phrases that are misunderstood. So, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your promises. I just pray that you will uh, speak to our hearts today so that we will truly understand what you accomplish through prayer, what it means, and God, that sometimes we need to understand what we're saying when we say it to people. God, before we just say these spiritual things that sound like great bumper stickers, God, then we need to actually know what that means. And so, God, I pray that you will speak to our hearts today through your word, not through our experience, not through our thoughts, not through what we think we know, but, God, just through your word that was inspired by you and given to us. And so, God, we ask that our hearts and our lives will be changed by it. We just believe and pray these things. Name of your Son and our strong Savior, Jesus Christ. Church together said, Amen. Amen. James chapter 4 is the typical passage that is used when people talk about, uh, well, prayer changes things because they use this, this statement out of James chapter 4, but we tend to pick this one particular verse. James chapter 4, verse 2 is what we're going to look at. That's the, that's the verse that tends to get thrown out a lot for this. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. That, that sounds a little bit like today, but that's not... You just think about that. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now that is the passage that most often people use. They say, look, um, this supports the idea that prayer changes things. Because see... You don't have because you don't ask. So surely the scriptural opposite must be true. You will have if you ask. 
or if you pray. So that's what people teach. That's a little bit of what we're seeing. Oh, let's just, let's just cut the chase. That's a whole lot of what we see on television right now. Is this, you don't have because you don't ask. Because see, look, here it is right here. There's a verse that says, you have not because you ask not. So, and y'all know, I always tell y'all, think about what the opposite must be. Okay, but now we're going to add something on to that process today because you not only need to look at the opposite, but then you need to back up and look at more Scripture. Because sometimes we can read something and go, oh, I think I understand that, so therefore the opposite must be true, but we don't back up and go, ah, my initial understanding of the first passage was wrong. It seems pretty straightforward. You have not because you don't ask. So, again, then people would say, well, then the opposite must be true. So if you don't have because you don't ask, then if you ask, you're going to have. Hmm. Well, people will pull out, you just hang on, people will pull out another scripture. James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. James said, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach about that today, because <laughs> don't want any of y'all to get nervous, you know. I've always thought it'd be awesome to preach a sermon about, therefore confess your sins to one another, and then say when we get to the end, we're not going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have a time of confession. Y'all need to confess to one another. <laughs> I've always thought it'd be fun, but I just don't know if anybody else thought it'd be all that great. But Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now that's the, that's the one that in the King James Version normally says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. In verse 18, then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Okay, so if we're just going to pull scriptures and say, well, here it is, and we're going to use that, then apparently if you would please pray that it would stop raining, it'll stop raining. Right? Because, I mean, I really don't like rain. Man, what y'all get quiet for? I mean, I, you know, I, we walked out the door this morning. Let's just go, man, it's raining. I need some of y'all to pray because if we're going to just say you don't have because you don't ask, therefore then the opposite must be true. If you're going to ask and you're going to have, then somebody please pray that it'll stop raining. And I'd really like some kind of Bahama breeze weather. If you, would, you, know, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and put that one in, the, in there too. There you go. We're being kind of sarcastic this morning. Oh, you noticed. I, <laughs> you know, part of that's because sometimes we just don't stop and think through some of what we're saying when we, when we promote certain ideas and, and go up to somebody that has a need and go, you know, we just need to pray about that because prayer changes things. Again, what does that mean? But hey, here's another scripture where he says, look, you know, there's a guy that prayed and he's just like us. He's not any more important than us. He prayed and everything changed. It stopped raining. So there you go, right? Prayer changes things. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to build amen or nothing. Or... Here's what we're going to talk about. Here's what we're going to talk about. That's proof texting. That's pulling Scripture to support your viewpoint without considering the entirety of Scripture. So let's, let's look at some other let's look at some other scriptures. In fact, let's look at the entire portion of that James chapter 4 statement. Because we just pulled verse 2. 
But let's start with verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Uh-oh. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? In verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. This is the one we read. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you do not ask. But wait just a minute. Verse 3, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Wait, wait, wait. So suddenly we see that this have not because you don't ask Scripture is followed up with you ask and you still didn't get it. Okay, so if our context was, well, you don't have, so you need to ask, so therefore if you'll pray and ask, then you'll get, but then wait a minute, the next Scripture said, then you turned around and asked, you prayed, you asked, and you still didn't get it. Why? Because obviously, you just hang in here with me for a minute. Don't somebody be like, man, I'm getting out of here. This is crazy. <laughs> obviously, prayer didn't change it. All right. Hmm. <laughs> People are going, wait a minute. Is he going to start preaching against prayer? No, don't anybody no. get freaked out or anything like that. But, but look, he says, you have not because you asked not. Then you asked, and you still didn't receive it. Why? Because you asked wrongly. Your motive behind what you were doing, what you went after was wrong because you wanted to spend it on your passions. So correct understanding number one about this statement of the prayer changes things. Number one, we may ask a good thing, but we may ask with a wrong motive. James chapter 4, let's see that again. He said, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask. This is New International Version. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Mm -hmm. Now, we in our society tend to think about this phrase, passions and pleasures, from a little bit of an adult standpoint, right? I'll leave it at that. We just see the word pleasure. We see the word um, uh, of passions. Then, you know, my goodness, we get all... You know, in the church where we get all nervous and, and, and freaked out. And we just came out of, out of Valentine's and you didn't seem to be bothered by it then. Just, okay, all right, just saying. You know, you went, I hope you went and got some roses, you know, and took them to your wife. And my wife got me, this, got me this Alabama sweater and this shirt. She got good taste. She was like, you know, I was like, man, you know, thanks. Say, so, hey, you know, so... At times, we're okay with the idea of this concept of pleasures and, and, and passions, but we, get, we take them to the wrong extreme. We allow it to go to what the world thinks about it and stuff. Yes, the basic concept behind the idea of consuming something for our pleasure is entirely different. The word that's used for pleasure here is the basis for our modern word hedonism. And hedonism is a school of thought that says that the sweet and the pleasant things of life are the main pursuit of life. In other words, you constantly pursue pleasure. It's where ideas like the saying, well, if it feels good, do it. So because it's a hedonistic view of, of life, I'm going to always be pursuing something that makes me feel good. I'm going to go after a thing that, that makes me feel better. And so everything in life becomes the pursuit of things that, gratify my emotions, gratify my feelings. But another concept of hedonism is this. It promotes the idea 
that the pleasures in life should far exceed the pain in life. Now, in the most basic sense for us as human beings, we stop and go, well, wait a minute, that works for me. I mean, I would much rather have everything, the majority of my life, be great things, be good things, be what I view as positive things versus for there to be pain involved in my life. And so, but, but in the concept of promoting that, that, hey, the best life is the life where everything feels good, then how do you deal with somebody that has constant pain? How do you deal with a person that has a, a physical ailment or something that causes them to have a constant issue? You tell them, well, oh, your life is not... That's not a question for y'all to answer. That's not a question for y'all to answer. That is, is, so how do you deal with that? How do you... Because if you've promoted the idea, if you've promoted the idea that this is the good life, the good life is when everything goes right. The good life is when everything happens the way that it's supposed to. That's the good life. Then how do you deal with someone when they come and say, hey, I've been given this diagnosis and I'm going to deal with this for the rest of my life? How do I? So hedonism kind of creeps in on the church world telling us that pleasures is what we're supposed to seek. One context of this scripture in James is that we don't receive because we are praying with the motive simply of avoiding pain and trying to experience pleasantness. I shared with, with Bird one time, and I, I've heard him pray this. Then my dad preached a message uh, one Wednesday night, and he, um, he was talking to his folks about prayer and praying, and he said, you know, when you go to God and you, and you pray and you're, you're sitting there in a hospital and you're praying and you're saying, God, I don't want this person to pass. God, don't let them pass. And that person is in some of the worst stages of a disease that maybe has ravaged their body, whatever else. And we sit there and we pray, God, don't, don't let them. Don't let them pass from this life. Why? Why are we? See, we're praying because of our potential pain. We're praying, saying, God, I don't, I don't want them to pass because that's gonna, I'm going to hurt. I'm going to hurt when I experience this. And, and, and yet they're, they're eaten up by disease. And they're praying, God, let me go home. And we're sitting there praying, God, don't let them pass. <laughs> and, you know, can you imagine sometimes a, a little bit of the, of the, I guess the wry smile that God has to get when he's going, Okay, so I got this one praying, God, please just let me. I'm ready to go home. And the one sitting by the bed going, God, please don't let them pass from this life. We said, well, wait a minute, though. So we've told both people, prayer changes things. One is praying, God, let me pass from this life. The other is praying, God, don't let them pass from this life. Now, who is it that their prayer is not going to change? Oh, see, now you just start getting into those real examples and people go, quit. Stop it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. This is what Paul said. He said, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, all the stuff that Paul was being given to write in the Word of God in the New Testament, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded, insert the word prayed, with the Lord about this. 
that it should leave me. What did God say to him? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wait, wait. That, that, that's, a, that's an absolute dichotomy. How can it be that you could say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong? I, I, I can't, I'm weak, but I'm strong. But the strength doesn't come from you and I. The strength doesn't come from us. The strength is not out of our ability. He said, and backing up, he said, God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. And he said, so I will boast all the more glad of it, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Correct understanding number two about when we say, well, prayer changes things. Sometimes I will not receive because God knows it is not best for me in his service. Paul said, look, I'm being harassed by this, whatever this ailment is, this thing. And there, you know, people have, have, you know, scholars have gone for hundreds of years now. Um, maybe it was his eyesight. Maybe it was something else. All the things that it could have been. It really doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that he says, I had something. I, I pleaded with God three times, please take this away from me. And God says, I got this. My grace is good enough. It's sufficient. It'll fulfill the need that you have. And he said, I recognize that then out of my weakness, then God's grace would rest upon me. The power of Christ would rest upon my life. Remember at the first portion of that, he said, this thing was sent so that I wouldn't get conceited. Man, how about that? How about recognizing God sent something so that I wouldn't be all, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say even about love, which last week we talked about God is love, doesn't it say that love is not puffed up? Uh-oh. Love's not conceited. Love doesn't get... So he says, hey, so that I would not get conceited... God sent this. And I ask him, please remove it. And God says, no. My grace is sufficient to see you through this. And he says, man, so I'm, gonna, I'm going to accept this because I want the power of Christ to fall on me. What would be pleasant for us is not always what would be best for us. It's not always what would be best for those around us and it's not always what would be best for God himself. So oftentimes when we go to someone and we say, well, we just need to pray about this because prayer will change things. Okay, let's stop a moment. Now's your moment to give me feedback, okay? So if, if I were to say to you, all right, you're in the middle of some, some you know, situation. Your boss has told you something negative. You've gotten a bad report from the doctor, whatever it is. You know, bad stuff that happens. And I came up to you and I said, well, you know what? We just need to pray because God 
It's going to hear and prayer changes things. What impression did you get from me saying that to you? If we pray, situation's going to change. If we pray, circumstances are going to be different, right? All right, let's just, let's just take a real-life poll. Every time that you've prayed, did your circumstances change? Every time that you prayed, did the situation change? Were you sincere, though, when you were praying? I mean, did you honestly praise God? I mean, you may have been crying. You may have been just broken before God. Did, did the situation change? So does prayer not work? Okay, so you say, wait a minute, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> so give me an example to think about. I'm glad you asked for that. Appreciate that. <laughs> you know, it's like you kind of knew what was coming in the sermon. It's awesome. Thank you. Um, whoever wants to take credit for that question, just take credit for it. Let's think about this. Let's say that you have been praying for your adult child their whole life. They've never expressed that they have asked Christ to come into their life, that they have surrendered themselves to Christ, that they have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You've prayed your entire life that that would happen. Hasn't happened. You come down with an illness. As you're going through that illness, you're honoring God. You are honoring Him on a daily basis. Some of you ladies are nurses. Y'all have seen this kind of... You're honoring Christ. You're, you're displaying the love of Christ. You're showing great patience. I'm not saying you're perfect, but you're, you're working through it. You're, you're giving God glory. You're asking God to increase your faith. And out of that, that adult child is watching. And that adult child says, man, there has to be something there. I mean, I've known that mom and dad, you know, have loved Christ. They've never gone through anything that difficult or whatever. And, you know, I mean, I'd tell somebody the other day, I said, man, I've never really had anyone, uh, you know, in my immediate family pass yet. I mean, you know, both my parents. and So in going through that moment, your adult child then is so witnessed to by, by how you are persevering and God is sustaining you that they come to Christ. Now, what if during that time frame you had been, you were praying, all right, as I would, I would if it was me, I'd, be, I'd been praying, God, deliver me from this. God, set me free from this illness that is racking my body, that is destroying me, that is, but yet at the same time you've been praying, God, I want you to reach my child. God, I want you to reach my child. Sometimes what would be more pleasant for us is not always best for us. Amen. And so God allows things that in our lives and things to happen that are not pleasant, but they are the best for us. They are the best for those who are around us. And ultimately because that God is not here to serve us, but because we are here to serve Him and to be His hands and His feet. And His desire, the Word says, is that, 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 uh, that all men would come to repentance, not that any should perish. Then if He chooses to use us and to work through us and to work through our lives, 
I could be over here praying, God, deliver me from this. And God's going, but I'm going to answer this other thing that you've been praying. So I can't, I'm, I'm not going to, I can't give you what you want out of this one because I'm working this over here. The proposed saying was, well, prayer changes things. The perception is, I pray, and then God, in some fashion, eventually does what I have asked. I, I, wait a minute. I, I thought that, that if I went to God and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, then eventually... It's going to change. In other words, what we're saying is I, I think that eventually he'll do what I've asked him to do. If I just persist, if I just stay at this long enough, and, we, and what we'll do is we'll go into the Bible and we'll go, well, what, wait a minute, what about the little lady that goes to the judge and she's going to the judge and, and asking for, for mercy for her son and finally the judge says, man, I'm just so wearied of you coming that I'm going to do it. I'm sure hoping we don't think we're going to wear God down. Alright? You know, maybe if I'll go to God enough, I will make God tired of hearing from me. You know? I'll just keep going and eventually God will say, alright, I wasn't going to do it. You know? I had no intention of doing this, but I mean, my goodness, you just nag and you nag and you... So, so I... <laughs> Some of y'all husbands just got wrong thoughts about that hoe. <laughs> so the saying isn't bad. The perception of that I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray. The truth is this. I pray. God examines my motives. God examines the situation. God does what is best in the big picture. And I may never receive that for which I asked. It may not happen. You know, depends on what it is, depends on, but, but the truth is that we may go to God asking for something and Him examine the motives, examine the situation, but He will ultimately do what is best. There are times where, again, doing what is best for even, even what would seem to be best for us is not best for those who are around us. There are times that even when God does what is best, it would not be best in His plan in the long run. Because we see now, we see this moment, we see, but yet we go to people in sometimes their weakest moments and we go and say, but if you'll just pray, prayer will change things. Leaving them with the perception that, all right, if I pray, then God will change the circumstances. He's going to change the situation. And then when it's a month later, and when it's two months later, and when it's six months later, and when it's a year later, and when someone passes. I watched this past week as a pastor friend put out there and said, what do I tell someone in my congregation? He said, there's an older lady that years ago had what was to be a terminal disease. We prayed, we believed, she believed. And then miraculously, the treatments ended up working and, and, and she came through. She's still alive today, but I have a young lady that's in my congregation now and her faith is strong and she's believing and she's praying and she has a terminal disease and it is continuing to get worse and worse and worse. What do I say? 
What do I tell her when she comes and says, but I have been praying, but I have been asking God. The truth about prayer is God is going to do what is best. We just have a hard time. I mean, let's just be honest. It is hard for us to sometimes believe that God is doing what is best. Wait, wait a minute. This person, they ended up passing from, from literally from this life. How could that be best? I, the Bible says that the ways of God are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. Who, who has known the mind of God? You say, but wait a minute. Are you saying that prayer doesn't change things? No. Not in the least. I'm not saying that prayer doesn't change things. We have misunderstood and misapplied that saying that prayer changes things. We've limited the things that are to be changed to only being the situation or the circumstances or the doctor's report or the decision by our boss. We've limited what when I pray, then, then this is the thing that's going to be changed. We've tended to view prayer as being failed or unanswered because our circumstances did not change. And this is tied to James 4 when he said that we pray amiss. Why? When we pray wrongly, we focus wrongly, and thus we look for the wrong change. We evaluate and say, wait a minute, I know what I think should happen in this situation. I know what I think should happen with this disease. I know what I think should happen with my job. I know what I think should happen with my finances. So I have it in my head and then I pray wrongly. And so then I focus on the wrong things because I'm just looking to avoid pain. And then when that doesn't happen, then I go, well, it didn't work. I prayed and it didn't work. I think as we are seeing our society with people far less church, I think this affects people. Because often when people at their weakest moment emotionally, a disease, a, a death, a, a financial situation, whatever it is, relationships, at that moment when they are very vulnerable, sometimes we tend to try to strike and get them to commit to Christ. I want you to make a decision for Christ because God's going to change your situation because prayer changes things. And so we create a false conversion. Someone comes to and, and prays the prayer because they are looking for the avoidance of the pain. And then we go, all right, let's pray. And we pray for about a month and we're on it hot and heavy and then something, nothing miraculous has happened and all of a sudden it's not as much on our radar anymore and we're not calling them as much and we're not praying as much. And all, this, and all of a sudden, this person that supposedly came to Christ says, man, this stuff doesn't work. Come on, brother. You told me I was going to pray and it was going to change. I had this vision in my head of what that looked like. Well, you don't need an opinion. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 44. is speaking of Jesus. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. 
And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I want to stop there for a moment. I think we've often used what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, whatever, as, as saying, man, this is one of the best you know, prayer methods out there. I actually think this very short prayer that Jesus prayed is perhaps the best foundational model for prayer alongside then, then the Lord's Prayer that Jesus did or the model prayer. Because here's what he said. This is Jesus talking to the Godhead that he's a part of. He's speaking to the Father himself. And he says, here's what I think, but I will submit to what you want. He didn't say, well, you're not supposed to pray and tell God what you want out of your heart and all this. It's no, no, no. Jesus himself went and said, Father, if there is any way. Now, wait a minute. Do we really think that Jesus thought there was a way? I mean, the Bible says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That he's there in heaven, that they, they look around and they say, who is, you know, they've got to send somebody. You know, Jesus is the only one worthy to go. It's not like he, he doesn't have, not, he knew his father's business. Remember, as a child, he stays behind. They're looking for him. He's back in the temple. And they come and find him and he says, hey, I'm about my father's business. I'm doing what I was sent here to do. He understood, he knew, but he knew it was about to be painful. He knew that he was going to have to be beaten and stripes put on his back and a crown of thorns. He knew all of that stuff, bruised for our iniquities, beaten and, and body stripes were hit. He knew all of that. And so the, the human part of him comes before the Father and says, Father, if there is any way, then let me get out of having to do this. But not what I want. But rather, let your will be done. So Jesus prayed and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening and this is one of those moments when I stop and go if an angel had to appear to strengthen him apparently he was weak he was at the end of the rope he had tied a knot he was hanging on at this point he probably tied the knot around his wrist or something figuratively because he couldn't even hardly hang on Angel didn't come and strengthen him before he prayed. Angel didn't come and strengthen him because he prayed, hey, if there's some way, let this pass from me. All I know is the, what he prayed was if there's any way for it to pass, then let it pass. But if not, I just want your will. The interesting thing to me is God did not change the situation. Jesus himself prayed and prayer did not change the situation. Prayer did not change the circumstances. But prayer did change him. Because he prayed, angel came and said, I'm going to, essentially, you might as well say, I'm going to strengthen you to get through this. I'm not changing the circumstance. I'm not changing the situation. But prayer did change things. It just wasn't the thing that we normally want to look at and want changed. 
that job situation happens, we want to pray and tomorrow go back in and God's changed the boss's mind. And he goes, no, we're not laying 30 people off. We're going to keep all of y'all. We want God to just miraculously change the finances of the company or whatever. And it's not always what happens. In fact, in some of those situations, it's rarely what happens. But Jesus himself prayed. Angel appeared. Now, what happened after that? Oh, this is great. He got strengthened by an angel and being in an agony. He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Man, Jesus went, prayed, and said, God, there's some way, let me get out of this. But I want your will. Angel comes and strengthens him. He prays even harder. He's, he's still... But God didn't change the situation. There you go. Man, I'm not getting a lot of hope out of this message this morning. Are you saying that I'm going to pray and my situation's not going to change? No, I'm telling you that prayer is still working even when the thing that you thought and how it was going to happen is not happening. Amen. We can't believe that we're going to pray God's going to cause things to change, proclaim the verses that God makes all things to work together for good to them to love the Lord, they're to call according to His purpose, and then turn around and go, but it's not working because I'm praying and the, the change is not happening. I have a friend, um, she, she works for me. Y'all hear me talk about Miss Irma all the time. Um, she has a sister that's been in a coma for... I think now maybe it's about seven years. She's still alive. She's, still, she's at home. Irma and her husband Julio have adopted um, her sister's children. Um, had, had two girls and they, had, they adopted the children after I think three or four years. All part of their family. Her sister lives in her mom's house that's across the street, and they all had to take care of her 24 hours a day. They, they have prayed and prayed and prayed. But Miss Irma's told me before, she said, she, she always she gets that, that accent, and she's, Mr. Payne. <laughs> Mr. Payne. God has not changed my sister, but God has changed me. I've learned how to serve. My children learn how to serve and take care. The, the kids, the kids are young. The kids are young. They participate in trying to help take care of their aunt and their mom. Proper prayer does change things. And often the thing that has changed is us. Jesus prayed, the situation didn't change. Paul prayed. God didn't take away the, the thorn in his side. The martyrs prayed. People that died for the cause of Christ, they would pray, God, I, I don't want to be burned alive. They prayed. But the situation didn't change. Yet when Jesus prayed and submitted to God's will, he was strengthened. Paul was told that God's grace would be sufficient. Martyrs sang hymns and spoke blessings as their life ebbed out on burning at the stake, all the different ways that they died.
we were riding here, I, I, Alexis and I were talking about this. I told her, I said, I'm going to use that. I'm going I'm to steal that and use it in a sermon today. It was not in my notes. I'm going to use it. She said, you know, Dad, that goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. They were supposed to bring worship, and it wasn't that they didn't bring worship. When you go back to that, he says, you, you, you have not because you ask not, but when you ask, you ask wrongly. And so you don't receive because you want to consume. You, you want to receive this so that you don't hurt. You want this disease to go away so that you don't have the pain. And that's understandable. I mean, it just is. It's natural. But yet we have a supernatural relationship with Christ. Martyrs sang hymns. They spoke blessings. Paul had grace that was sufficient. Jesus was strengthened. And, but yet we could ask and ask wrongly. And he said, and you do ask and you don't have. Cain and Abel brought their worship. They asked. They did. In, in comparison, they did. But yet one of them was done wrongly. According to what he thought would work. What he thought was right. And it didn't work. Was it that they didn't ask? Was it that they didn't bring worship? No. What are the takeaways for today? Takeaways. Number one, pray with the right motive. We've got to pray with God's plan being what is driving us. That has to be our motive. Number two, Pray believing that God will do what is best. It doesn't do us any good if we pray with no expectation, but it also doesn't do us any good if we pray with the wrong expectation. We pray with an idea of what we think God is going to do versus praying believing that God is going to do what is best. And third, pray expecting a change in you. See, sometimes prayer doesn't change the situation. Prayer doesn't change the circumstances. A lot of times, prayer just changes you. And you know, amazingly, often when God changes us in the situation, then it changes. I mean, it's not always the answer. It's not always. Everything doesn't always happen the way we want it to happen. Does prayer really change things? Yeah. Because there's been a lot of times that prayer changed me. Let's pray.